Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But when we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Good morning and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. To start off the fall, 
we're going to do a quick mini-series, two-week series, on what we want to be as a church. And so if you're new to New York City or new to Redeemer Lincoln Square, you're in luck. Uh, you're going to quickly see who we are. But if you've been here, if you've been around for a while, we too need reminders again. Our vision is to reflect joy together in the city, but that's just a phrase unless we really parse what that means. Earlier we had a prayer about uh, one of our values to do that is to be a church not for ourselves but for others. But another value that we have is that we are a church that values questions and those who ask them. That is why we do Q&R after services where you can text in questions anonymously. It's why uh, Jenny brought it up that we print in the side of the bulletins the explanation of what's going on because we don't assume that uh, you know why we do what we do, whether you're a Christian or not. And so we are here to honor those questions and value those and um, is part of who we are. But another thing that we need to do is we need to be in Scripture to inform us about what all this is about. And so today we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. It's a fairly famous parable, one that's very important to Redeemer, to myself, to others. But what I want to do today is I want to look at it with fresh eyes. Because if we don't look at it with fresh eyes, I think we are at risk at missing the central message of the Bible, the core of Christianity, and what I would like to be the core of this church and your hearts. And so let's do this in three parts. Let's look first at what I'm going to call the heart of judgment. Secondly, then why are we lost? And then thirdly, the joy of being found. So the heart of judgment, why we're lost, and then the heart of being found. So first, the heart of judgment. I was um, on a plane this summer and doing some uh, summer reading. I was reading about the humanist philosopher Montaigne and uh, the French Renaissance, which, you know, light reading on a plane. And I had this really weird moment, which I don't get a lot, but it was like this sort of eureka moment. All of a sudden, this particular parable and sort of our ongoing cultural narrative and moment became hyper clear. Montaigne was a philosopher who lived during the French wars of religion between the Protestants and the Catholics, and he literally saw his country being torn apart by religion. And he saw the solution to not fixate on what's on outside, but to like look on the inside as the center of your reality to stop the fighting. 500 years later, Christopher Hitchens, famous atheist but a humanist in line with Montaigne, wrote a, a New York Times bestseller, it was about 15 years ago, called God is Not Great. And the, after that, the, the subtitle was How Religion Poisons Everything. And what he does, he goes on and defines religion this way. This is what he says. He says, it's a set of codes, quote, if you obey the rules and the commandments that God has lovely prescribed to you, you will qualify for an eternity of bliss. In other words, here's the definition of religion. Religion is obey, and then you'll get acceptance. Then you'll be accepted. And he goes on and shows in the book that this is the paradigm that's at the root of racism, sexism, sexual abuse, the Holocaust. Almost every major human problem, he says, this is where it comes from. And he says, as long as we look on the outside, we look to some sort of transcendent thing, we can do terrible atrocities in the name of God. We have to look on the inside to find out who we are. And we need to look on the inside to get our identity and our meaning. And yet, a curious thing happened. A curious thing happened is that, oh no, we have the mic on, sounds like somewhere else. We'll have to turn that off. Um, oh well, that's not God, that's not me. Um, 
Here's a curious thing that happened. Without belief in God, what's happened since the, over the past 500 years is that we are, are looking within now to discover the true self, our true identity, but we still need others to verify and accept us. We actually still, right now, we still need the court of public opinion to, to verify things. And so here's what's so ironic. Hitchens and Montaigne, they got rid of God, right? They got rid of God because he was the judge to try to stop judgment, but instead what, what, what's been created is now everybody is a judge. Everybody is. So here's the insight that I got on the plane. As religion has decreased in the West, what's increased is judgment has increased as the self is at the center. I still need others to acknowledge the self that I've chosen. And to feel better about ourselves, what happens is now we judge where others are lacking. So this is what's so funny, is that we live in a culture that supposedly we're like, there's no judgment. But as we got rid of God as the judge, now we all are sort of these many, many judges. And you say, okay, where's the proof for that? I think the proof is this, is that there are statistics that show that the social media posts that you and I post, the ones that get the most traction are not the happy, clappy ones. The ones that get the most traction are the judgmental ones where we are more likely to comment on them. Or if you want to, you can go to it. There's a survey in City Journal uh, last year. This, this, this survey pointed out that the majority of us agree with this statement. Here's the statement. I worry someone misunderstands something that I've said or has taken it out of context. That's actually a new phenomenon, that we actually actively worry how other people will perceive our statements. We constantly worry about the judgments of others. Or look at the cognitive psychologists that are pointing out that one of the reasons for the increase in depression and anxiety is because there's now a judgmental spirit that we're taking against ourselves. We're constantly comparing ourselves to others. And you don't, I mean, yes, Instagram helps that, but we're just doing it over and over and over again. And so what's happening is, is that we're judging ourselves into unhealth, which is so ironic. Because if the narrative of our culture is no judgment. But we're judging everyone, and we think that God is actually the worst judge, and so we judge him as well. And therefore, I think the only thing that's changed since the wars of religion 500 years ago is that we just change what we're ruthlessly judging people on. And in that context, I want us to look at this text. Go to this parable, and what do you see? In verse 11, first of all, it says that this is not about the prodigal son. This is, this is a man who has two sons. Puts a compare and contrast two sons here. If you go to the next verse, the verse 12, the younger son says to the father, essentially, I'm done with you. I want my inheritance. Back then, they didn't have the stock market. It wasn't that they had you know, monetary cash. If you wanted your inheritance, they had to liquidate their land. And that only technically only happened when the father died. So essentially he's saying to his father, you're as good as dead to me. He judges his father by saying that. Then when he spends it all in his wild living, this is verse 17 now further down, and he's uh, covered in pig filth, he's feeling sorry for himself, but he, what, what happens? He doesn't feel like he can return as a son anymore. Why? Because he technically killed his father and his sonship. So he says, I can, I'm going to come back, but I'm going to, the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to pay off my debts. Why? Because he has the same mentality of, 
I, you only get acceptance if you obey. So I have, to go, I have to obey, I have to become a servant, I have to pay off my debt, then I'll get accepted again. So he shows up, he comes back with this plan. And what's interesting is if earlier he was judging his father, what's now, in, what's happening in verse 17 and 18, he's now judging himself. Then he shows up and his brother does not come in, out to the house, come, sorry, does not come into the house to receive his brother, his train wreck of a brother, this is verse 25, because he's judging his younger brother. And by doing so, he's actually judging the judgment of the father by not actually using uh, the, 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 the actual term father in verse 29. He said, this is the, your son, not my brother. This is your son. By doing so, he's actually judging the father too. He's doing the exact same thing that the younger brother's doing. What's my point? My point is this. Everyone is judging everyone else. Secular, free-spirited younger people are judging the religious moralists and the moral religious people, the good older brothers, are sitting around and they're judging the younger brothers. And Montaigne and Hitchens thinks that religion judges. They say only religion says obey, but then we'll be accepted. But what I see, and hopefully what you'll see, when you look out our doors into New York, into America, into the Western civilization, what you should see is, I see, is everybody saying the same thing, obey and then I'll accept you. Everybody's saying, um, everybody judging everybody else. There are people out there right now judging, saying, you don't care about climate like I care about, care about climate. And there are people judging people, saying, yeah, I'm judging you for how you go about caring about the climate. You can judge and say, you know what, people don't really care about race and justice the way I care about race and justice. And then there's a lot of people going around judging the people who care about race and justice and the way they go about it. We're constantly judging individuals. We judge others and we judge ourselves. And I think that's one of the main reasons why we're fracturing and breaking up as a culture, as a society, into all these different factions and populations, geographically, politically, economically, racially, religiously, every single way. And so what I find fascinating is culture today doesn't believe in this concept of sin, but since everybody's judging everybody else, we're actually acting out that concept whether we believe it or not. It's, it's, it's inside all the things that we do. Why? Because everybody's telling everybody else, obey my definition of identity. Obey my definition of morality. And if you do, I'll accept you. If, I do, if you don't, I'm going to cancel you. I'm going to cut you off. The younger brother is saying, I'm going to obey my identity. I'm going to live the life I want to live. And you know what? If you don't accept it, I'm cutting you off. I'm out. I'm going to go judge everybody else who disagrees. This is why the younger brother runs away to the city. But then the older brother says, listen, I'm going to obey by following the rules. I'm going, to, I'm going to earn the good approval of the father. I'm going to be here, not because he really loved the father, because he, but because he loved what the father was going to give him. He, was hope, he got mad that the fatted calf went to the younger brother unto himself. Because why? He wanted it for himself. And I think what Jesus is trying to say here, and trying to say to all of us in this parable, is that the world is not divided the way we divide it. We divide it this way. Good people bad people. Good people in, bad people out. And he's saying, that's not how the world's divided. If everybody is judging everybody else, both the younger brother and the older brother is actually inside of you. We all have those tendencies. That you can be the younger brother who hates those goody-two-shoe, 
religious people and we judge those judgmental people, you know what's happening? You're judging them. You're actually being the older brother in that moment. And all the older brothers, by the way, you know what? You have the little younger brothers in, in you as well. How do I know? Because I'm one, and I know that there's always a thing that other people would say, that's wrong, how dare you, that's a younger brother thing. You're like, ah, that's not so bad. You know, you cut the corner over there, ah, you're, you're not understanding me. I'm complicated, I'm nuanced. You don't get me. Them, they're black and white, in and out, you're off. And what's happening there is we're judging. So before we move on, this is what I want to say. Do you realize that the problem is not necessarily out there, it's in here? Will you recognize that you carry the spirit of judgmentalism out into the world? And the sooner we actually recognize that, the sooner we can deal with this problem. That's point one. Now, point two. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Quickly, why we're actually lost. I don't know if you've ever been physically lost before, but I think we can all agree with this. The people who are most physically lost are the ones who don't even know they're physically lost. I was uh, hiking um, this summer, and I love going in the middle of nowhere, and there's nobody around, but sometimes there's somebody coming up the trail the other way, and you tend to just sort of nod and wave. You're like, you know, grunt, you know, something like that, because you're like, you're in my space of within 500 miles or something. But these, this, there was this couple coming the other direction, and, and to my surprise, they actually stopped me and said, hey, is this town, we're looking for a particular town, is this close? Are we close to this town? So I break out my map, and I was like, no, you're actually nowhere near this town. This, you're, you, you have no idea. To my surprise, they argued with me. They're like, no, this town is close. I know it. And I, and I was so, uh, it, it, it boggled my mind that they were not willing to reason. They were not willing to see that, uh, that they were wrong. And so actually we left, we're like, oh, whatever, and we just kept going. And I, for hours I was just like so flummoxed that how could they be so blind? Turns out, actually, I was wrong. <laughs> and these people are the ones trying to reason with me. They were trying to show me. And what I realized was there was no way they could have convinced me. There was no way they could convince me. And so what I, what I realized is this, is that we're most lost because we don't know we're lost. The most lost people don't even know that they are. And that's the insight, I think, that the older brother gives us. See, the younger brother knew that he was lost. He admits, and there's a lot of commentaries say, to, to what degree did he really know how much he, you know, because he was like, you know, maybe he just was hungry, maybe he just wanted food, but you know what? It was enough. It was a little bit, maybe, but it was enough in verse 18 that he at least admits. The older brother doesn't. In verse 29, when he says, I'm slaving for you, that term is, is essentially saying, I'm putting in my debts, I'm paying my, my dues, so to speak, I'm putting in all this effort, my good deeds, my staying home as being a good son. It wasn't necessarily because of the love of the father. It was for the love of the fatted calf. And yet here's the thing, this is what's so screwy, is that the world will see on the outside, he's the good one. He's the good son. He saw himself that way. And yet, 
inside was the same judgmental spirit that was inside the younger brother. And he, yet he couldn't see it. He didn't know it. And so the, there's only one key difference between the two brothers. One knew that they were lost, and the other one didn't. Every single religion on the world, in the world does say that the world breaks down into good people and bad people. Only Christianity says the good son and the bad son are both lost. That you can be lost by running away from God, but you can be just as equally lost, actually more lost, because you don't even see your own lostness, by thinking that you're right next to God, that you're serving God, that you're trying to be near God. Broken people, this is what I found in my experience, broken people who look physically broken and know they're broken tend to be more likely to go home, to seek help. It's the people who don't look broken. It's people on the outside that look pretty good, that have it all put together. Those are the ones who don't have a desire to come home. What's, and this is what's so weird and hard. Right now today, if you feel broken, there's curses that are happening to make you feel that brokenness. But guess what? There's a blessing inside that, inside that curse because at least you know it. And what's so strange and weird is the blessings of all, having a great life and comfort and stuff like that. There's a curse in that. The curse is that you don't see your brokenness. It's those who don't feel broken. Those who don't know that they're broken on the outside. That's the curse. And so the world isn't divided between good people and bad people. It's really divided between this. People who know their need and people who don't. People who seek help because they know their lostness and those who don't. We are judging each other because it gives us some internal satisfaction to feel better about ourselves in those moments. And we're not going to change until we repent, not just of the bad things. That's easy. Everybody knows what's bad. We say, That's not, you shouldn't do that. It's not, it's not just to on the bad things. It's to repent for the very reasons that we even do good things. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I got this awareness probably for the first time. It was so impactful. That's why I still remember it. I was in high school, and back in the 90s, the high school was like the really baggy pants and stuff like that, which I don't think they're, I don't even know they're in again, the, the, you know, fashion cycles through. But I was wearing these big baggy pants. There was this elderly individual who was trying to cross the street, but the light was changing too fast. And for whatever reason, I'm not normally that hyper aware, but I was aware that she was, and I actually helped her cross the street. And, the, and it was a good deed. It's a good deed to help somebody that is in need to help cross the street. Of course, the minute I did that, I started looking around at everybody else and was like, you guys could have done this. You could have helped. Why, why didn't you? I helped. Look what I did. And I'm just this high school guy who never really helps people anyway, but I helped here. And so, yeah, feeling pretty good. What's happening there? In that moment, I was taking a good thing, but as the way I was working it, I twisted it and made it about myself to use it against other people, to weaponize it against other people. And that's the thing is that Every single one of us, I promise you, take anything good, just give it some time, and you'll find a way to weaponize it against, some, against someone or something else for your benefit. And I think we do this all the time. I think we do this all the time. Sometimes we'll say this. We'll say, you know what? I might have this, but at least I love my parents. Not like those are people over there. I'm going to have this, but you know what? I might not have the career I want, but at least I try hard in my career. Or you know what, those of you in that career, you're like, well, you know what, I might not be getting ahead, but those guys cheat. At least I'm honest. 
See, those are true statements, but you know what? The way that you're weaponizing them and use them is the heart motivation with them is now a spirit of judgment. The only difference between the younger brother and the older brother is the younger brother knew his need for the father and the older brother did not. Because what we're doing with judgment is, we're, is it's just one little semblance of saying, I feel better about myself. Why do you want to feel better about yourself? Because that is one more way to say, I don't need anyone else, I have this. I don't need a savior, I have that. I, I, I'm self-reliant. Maybe not in this area, I'm kind of messed up over here, but you know what, over here, I'm all right. I might be a younger brother over here, but at least I'm an older brother over there. And that is why we're lost, is because we don't even know it. My question to you is this, where might your goodness be keeping you away from the Father? Right? Notice the, the older brother won't come into the party. Where might your goodness be keeping you away from the party that's available for you? This uh, particular parable is at the end of a couple parables, and each time there's resolution at the end. What's jarring is there's no resolution. We never know if the older brother comes in, which is Jesus' way to say, you're that elder brother, are you going to come in? Because the bigger problem is not your badness. Your bigger problem is your goodness. It's the very thing that you think that you got. At least you got that. That thing is why we're lost. Last point, the joy of being found. Uh, another true story. I, knew, I had a friend um, who uh, had a cancer growing, I guess, in their leg. And it was getting bigger and bigger. One time I, I saw it, and it was the size of a baseball. And everybody, and not just me, everybody was like, you really should get that looked at. And this, this person was like, you know what, it's, I know what it is. It's not that. It's, uh, I don't know what, there was a word he used, what, it, what, it was, what he thought it was, uh, like a cyst or something. But um, he never got checked out. And he died of c- cancer that was preventable. Now, I want to ask you this question. Did he, what killed him? Was it the cancer? What killed him was his denial that he had cancer. Denial is actually what really killed him. For all of us, I believe that what's killing you most is your denial right now. What's going to fix that? What would help? Well, the text says the younger brother thought that when he told his father that you are dead to me, get lost, get bent, and ran away, he thought that he could never come back as a son. He thought he would never, he could never imagine that. But what did he see in verse 20? In verse 20, he saw his father running towards him. Now, how did he, here's the question you have to ask. How did the father know he was coming? People point out that the only way he must have known that he was coming was he was looking for him. Which then makes you wonder, how long was he looking for him? Every day? Every month? Years on end? And then the key word is he ran. His running you might not think that's that special, but 2,000 years ago, ancient Near East patriarchs, they did not run. They had tunics, which meant if they did run, it was going to be indecent. You know what? That's nothing I wanted to see, nothing that I want you to see, but he did it anyway, because you know what? He didn't care. He saw his son. It was coming towards him. And so he went to him. And I think what that means then for all of us is that even though he was financially ruined by this son, even though that he was culturally shamed, you know that everybody in the town would have gossiped and talked about him. Even though he was incalculably hurt, we can't even imagine 
this pain his father went through, he looks for his son and runs towards him and throws his arms around him and kisses him. Clothes him with a robe, which is giving him back his dignity. Gives him a ring, which gives him back authority and power. It's a ring of royalty. You don't have to work to be in the graces of my love, is what he was saying. Which was something that that brother, all brothers, could not possibly fathom. And the only thing that it took for that to happen was the younger brother's willingness to come home. The father ran towards him. The father did everything else. All he had to do was be willing. And we don't even know to what degree he really understood what he was willing to admit, but it was enough to come home. The father saw the worst in his son, and still he was running, robing, celebrating, no questions asked. And if you had that kind of acceptance, if you understood that, if you saw and basked in the joy of being found like that, if you knew that nothing could keep you away from the love of the Father, I promise you, I bet you, you and I would be transformed and completely and utterly different about how we thought about ourselves and the world. We would. Go back to that heart of judgment we talked about for a second. You know, we, we judge. Why? We judge, by the way, because there are real, there are right and wrongs, there are real problems out there. We want justice. And yet the way we do it, we don't get justice, we get vengeance. The truth is, there is a judge, and you're not him. There is a judge. And you say, where's that in the text? Well, the younger son, to get back in the family, me is actually costly. Why? To get back in the family, now he has rights to the inheritance. It means he now has a portion to what was supposed to be for the elder brother. So what was happening is the elder brother was being asked to pay. There is a debt. There is a payment. And he didn't want to pay it. See, if the elder brother was really, it really had the heart of the father, Probably as soon as that younger brother left, he would have gone after him at great cost, and he didn't. And so this was Jesus' way of saying, hey, that, other brother didn't, that elder brother didn't want to take the judgment, but I will. He didn't want to take that cup of wrath, the, the payment, but I will. I will leave the true father. I will be the true son. I'll leave the true home and go off and pay that debt so that you and I, we sons and daughters, now don't, we don't not just, we don't get judged, but we know what? We don't actually have to be the judge anymore. Not to say there's not right and wrong, but it does, it's not up to you. There is such a freeing truth about that. If we actually really live that out, that would be powerful and amazing and life transforming to have that. And so the question, last question I want to ask you is this. Will you come home? You might even think you're home. Guess what? You're not. You're outside. You don't even know it. Will you come home? See the Father running towards you. See his compassion. Because if you did, guess what? When you feel mad, when you feel anxious, when you feel like I need to look down on those other people, you're not going to have the same feeling to need. You're not going to need to do that anymore. You have the love of the Father and the kisses and the hugs draped around you. Or put it in reverse. When you get easily agitated, when you still feel like you're not getting your due, when you feel like you're, not, you're, you're running on empty, what's happening in those moments is that at the end of the day, you haven't fully fleshed out the experiential truth of the Father's love around your neck. That's what's happening in those moments. And so what we, need, what we really need is we need to be melted by being brought home. And if we don't, we're still on the outside.
But if we knew this personally, particularly, eternally, we will desire to have more of God, even if meant more of everything else, less of everything else. Sometimes people go, I, was, I, was, I uh, did membership this on Saturday, and we were just talking about, yeah, you need community and you need these things, but guess what? It's costly. It costs your time. Are you willing to t- pay the time? It might be worth it, though. To get more of God, you might get less of everything else, but you know what? That's going to be worth it. Older brothers obey to get accepted. Christians know that they're accepted out of gratitude, and now, therefore, everything comes. All obedience comes after that. I actually think that Hitchens and um, Montaigne were right. That religion is obey and then get accepted. But I would argue everything is obey and then get accepted. Only Christianity says, no, you are accepted, period. And if you understood that, you wouldn't be able to help but serve and move out and go and grow and obey. The only thing that will change your heart, I think, a heart of judgment to a heart of joy is experiencing anew being found by the Father. Will we let this be the animating power in our lives? Will we let that move us? He sought you first, so guess what? Now you can seek him out. If you understood that love, it changes everything. This is our vision for Redeemer Lincoln Square. It's to reflect joy together. But the root of the joy, the reason why we're going through this passage, it has to be this. It has to be the kisses of the Father, the running, robing, Ruby ringing nature of the Father, regard for you, that you were dead and now you're alive. You were lost, but now you're found. And I think the way to do this, to start to do this, here's a practical application. How do you start to do this? Ask yourself how regularly you don't just repent and beat yourself up about the bad things. How much are you willing to talk about that the root of all the things that you're doing good is actually for the wrong reasons too? Be able to say, Lord, I repent of even the reasons why. For wanting to look competent, for needing to be right, to look put together to everybody else, to feel better about myself, I confess that I've even done that. Help us to see your arms around us no matter how many other things vie for our attention. I think a lot of people in this town say, I want to really love people. You want to know how to love people? Don't just say, I need to love people, I, need, I, I should love people. That's, that's what the elder brother does. The elder brother does it that way. You will love people to the degree that you feel loved. You will most feel loved by seeing the Father's arms around you, and you'll most feel the Father's arms around you because you saw what it cost him to do so, his own very son. That's the beauty of God's love. From this parable, it's the more you see your flaws, the more beautiful is his grace and the more beautiful is grace the more you can admit your flaws and the more you can accept other people's flaws how are we going to stop from fracturing it's when you don't divide out yourself from the judgmentalism when you see it on them and they probably are wrong a lot of times but you knowing yourself will keep you in relationship doesn't mean there's not brokenness but there is a judge who will fix it and remake it and he already started it with you with his arms around you you're going to do it for the whole world And I believe if we really own this as a church, we would love those who are lost because we were lost and found. We would love those who are broken because we know our own brokenness. It would change. That was what was prayed up here just a couple moments ago. That we would be a church, not just for ourselves, but for others, because this is at the heart of who we are. Then you can say like 
the Charles Wesley hymn, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee, accepted, and now we move out in obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we let this be the joy of our hearts, the basis of our joy. There's so many other things vying, saying, it's, it's speaking in our ear, saying this will be the joy. If you just found this, if you just identified like this, if you just uh, got this. And those are partial truths. There are some truths to those things, but not fully, not ultimately. No, not like your arms around us, the full acceptance of being able to see us to our core, seeing all the ways that we've run away from you and still saying, I want to be your father. Father, there's people in this room that have had bad fathers. And so this is a hard concept to get. Some of us have had good fathers. But not as good as as the, the one true father here. Turn our hearts and minds, we pray. Let us, as we begin uh, this new fall, to root ourselves on this foundation, nothing else. We praise things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.